InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Well, it may sound like a paradox. People who make less money paying more to buy things. But it's true, apparently. Lower-income families tend to pay higher prices for things like food and housing, higher prices than people with higher incomes. A recent report contains these surprising findings, and Matt Fellows, a scholar at the Brookings Institution, authored the report. Matt, welcome to InfoTrack. Nice to be with you. Now, tell us some of the statistics you uncovered in this report. Well, it's really amazing. You know, we started with a couple issues that have gotten some press attention in recent years, like the high price lower-income families are charged to cash a check or take out a short-term loan. And when we start looking at those issues, they just kind of spiraled into nearly the entire budget of a lower-income family. So we looked at grocery prices, basic financial services, mortgages, insurance, furniture, appliance, and so on. And it just, for nearly every necessity, it costs more. So let me give you a couple examples. To cash a $500 check in a lot of lower-income neighborhoods today costs anywhere from $5 to $50. And that's because... Only about 41% of lower-income urban neighborhoods have a bank or credit union and instead are served by what are known as check-cashing businesses. Mm -hmm. Those businesses charge a fee for every time that you cash a check. Another example is with car prices. According to a nationwide analysis of 650,000 car purchases, lower-income consumers paid anywhere from 50 to $500 more on average to buy the exact same car that a higher-income household buys. Well, anyone who's driven through a lower-income neighborhood in a major city would be hard-pressed to miss all the businesses that feed into what you're describing, but they'd probably say they're serving a need and it's more expensive to do business in a rough neighborhood. How would you respond to that? I think that's absolutely right. There's really three major causes of these higher prices. One is, and probably the most important, is what you point to, which is the real higher cost of doing business in lower-income neighborhoods. And that's because of the fact that lower-income households are much more likely to miss bill payments, which means they have higher delinquency rates. There is also generally more crime in those neighborhoods, and it has to do with even technical things like zoning restrictions in lower-income neighborhoods that drive up prices for businesses. So that's a big cause. The second is unscrupulous businesses. In Detroit, for instance, there's a major chain there that charges anywhere from 2 to 16% of a check's value to cash a check for a lower-income consumer today. That's just unscrupulous. That's just too high of a rate. A third major cause is just a lack of information among lower-income households about the marketplace. And that's true of a lot of households today, but lower-income families have just a smaller margin of error in their budget. Would some of this also perhaps be traced back to education in terms of basic financial literacy? Would that be a factor where people maybe don't have the know-how to find other options for their purchases and so on? Oh, absolutely. Financial education is a big part of this puzzle because we as a country used to invest in home economics classes throughout the country, and for a lot of good reasons, those classes have been dropped from school curriculum. But the problem is that the market's become a lot more complicated since a lot of those classes were dropped. And because of that, it's just harder today to make smart financial decisions. I mean, just take a few examples. In the mortgage market today, there's dozens of different mortgages to choose from. 
credit score is now used to determine prices for auto loans, auto insurance, mortgages, home insurance, even utilities are using it to price security deposits. So it's new changes like this in the marketplace that make it much more difficult to make smart decisions, particularly if you don't have information about these types of market products. Our guest on InfoTrack is Matt Fellows, a scholar at the Brookings Institution. We're talking about a report that he authored which says that lower-income families tend to pay inflated prices for many things. For example, folks see these TV ads all the time. Rent instead of owning your furniture, rent your TV set or rent a couch or whatever. But those costs can be extraordinarily high over a year or several years as opposed to buying the couch. What type of solutions do you propose, Matt, for this type of situation that would help people? Because if you're at a lower income and you're paying so much more, it tends to keep you kind of trapped at that marginal level in society. That's absolutely right. You know, there are two big surprises in this research. The first is just how comprehensive this issue is for lower income families today. They're really shopping in an entirely different economy than middle and higher income families are today. The second big surprise was just how much is actually happening around the country today, mostly in state houses and in city halls. The federal government really hasn't been doing a lot on these issues. And that has something to do with the fact of just where the policy market opportunities are. So a few examples. New York's lower-income neighborhoods generally lack banks and credit unions. There's only about 19% of lower-income neighborhoods in New York City that have a bank or credit union. That's compared to about 41% across the metropolitan areas for lower-income neighborhoods. So there's something unusual happening in New York. The state responded in a very innovative way. They decided to take their state revenues and deposit them in bank branches that opened up in lower-income neighborhoods. And in that way, made operating a bank branch in a lower-income neighborhood profitable in a way that it wouldn't have been without those deposits. Another example is with mortgage lending. A number of states have looked at the adequacy of mortgage protections for consumers, particularly lower-income consumers who are much more likely to buy what are called subprime mortgages and have added stipulations that lenders provide financial education before consumers buy those types of high-cost mortgages. So there's really a lot going on across the board on these issues. I have to say, though, that the work that is going on is mostly disconnected, which is one of the reasons why we've published this report, is because in a state like Pennsylvania, for instance, they could be very far ahead on trying to get larger grocery stores in the lower-income neighborhoods, but pretty far behind then on other issues like mortgage protections or rent-to-own laws. Matt, what's your take, I'm wondering, on an issue that's in some communities, large communities, become sort of a political hot potato, and that is these big-box retailers, such as a Walmart or a store like that, wanting to move into lower-income areas. What's your take on that situation? Well, you're right that it's a hot-button issue, so thanks for asking. (laughs) Uh, My take on it is that in some cases it does make sense to bring these types of big-box stores into urban markets. Walmart, for instance, has announced that they're going to be opening up 100 large super centers in underserved lower-income neighborhoods. And, you know, in a lot of these communities, there's just nothing there today. So it's not only lowering prices, it's also creating jobs. Now, that said, I think some of these big chains can be more responsible about the types of benefits and wages that they provide, and that's a very legitimate concern. But there's certainly real benefits that can be had from opening up these big box retail stores. 
Now, Matt, if you were going to give some advice to a lower-income person or a family that might be listening to the show, how would you advise them to get good information on where to shop and and to find out if they're getting ripped off or not? Well, that's a great question. And unfortunately, the answer pretty much depends on what city you're living in today and what types of neighborhood organizations and what type of city leadership that you have in your community. If you're living in a city like Philadelphia or New York or San Francisco, there's actually organizations out there that are trying to aggressively boost the amount of information in lower-income neighborhoods that helps lower-income families make smart decisions. Take, for instance, the simple issue of cashing a check. In a lot of communities today, it makes much more sense to get on a bus if a bank's not located in your neighborhood and actually try to find a bank that sells a checking product that makes sense for you rather than use a check casher. But that option's not always available, in which case uh, you need to talk to your employer about directly depositing your paycheck into an account. So there's a lot of options that are available, but it really does depend on what types of communities you're located in. It's very important today for lower-income consumers to get access to the Internet. There's a terrific website out there called beehive.org, which is specifically targeted towards lower-income consumers and gives them a lot of information on everything from managing a checking account to buying auto insurance and how to save money. Beehive.org. Any uh, last words that you'd like to add? I'll add in closing that nearly all of our public policy today that's geared towards helping lower-income families is focused on boosting the income of lower-income families. And we really do need to do more going forward to look at the other side of the family's ledger and try to lower the cost of living because this really is a big opportunity going forward. There are hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars paid every year by lower-income families and higher prices. And so that's a real opportunity to create savings for lower-income families to get ahead. Matt Fellows, who is a scholar in the area of metropolitan policy at the Brookings Institution. Matt, thanks for joining us on InfoTrack today. Nice to be with you. Next, if you get orgasmic over organic food, you're not alone. Millions are going organic. The facts you need to know are next. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 